Wow. You're gonna like this. Oh, no, I'm not. Because there is no goddamn middle. This is not unlike ancient Rome, by the way. Not so much the family circus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when, um, I did, when I did Mary Shelley, I had the same issue with necromancy. A lot of them yeah. wanted to create self-sustaining farms and got into crystals. I know! Okay. I understand that. And, but yeah, I'm reading Livy, uh, who is a shitty historian. Because eerie guy guys. Others say that because Laurentia's body was common to all the shepherds around, she was called a she-wolf, which is a Latin term for whore. You were audible last season. It just, most of it was you slamming the table. As, as <laughs> the, the Romanists at the table. Well, duh. Yeah. Obviously. Ipso facto. Right. You know, to engage in a little bit of Latin. You have a sword rat. history of time where we connect nerdery to the real world my name is ed blaylock i'm a world history and english teacher at the middle school level here in northern california and uh, welcome back uh to everybody uh we are returning from a holiday hiatus uh during which um i spent most of my time trying to get moved into my new house uh, so that's that's big news on this end. Uh, you will probably notice from the uh, nature of the sound quality on this on this recording that Damien and I are recording separately uh, due to the plague still being in effect. Um, but the nice thing is that now that I'm in my new house, um, I, I have uh, it's it's that much better. It's it's that much easier to to kind of record in in this setting than it was in in my old apartment. Uh, and I'm very excited about being here, even though the place has already tried to kill me once. Um, suffice to say that the breaker panel in this house is a tissue of lies. Uh, uh, there is, there's my, my wife and I got a, a really lovely light fixture uh, to go over where our, our dining room table is going to go, which is actually where I'm sitting to record right now. And in order to install it um, on New Year's Eve, uh, my wife uh, went out and and shut off the breaker that was very clearly labeled lights. And um, I I uh, climbed up on a step ladder, and uh, there was exposed wiring coming out of our ceiling from where the old fixture had been removed. And uh, as I went to remove part of the, the mounting bracket uh, for the old fixture, um, I wound up uh, touching the mounting bracket to one of the exposed wires and uh, predictably got a massive shower of sparks and had to change my trousers. Are you uh, serious? Well, I mean, I'm exaggerating. I didn't oh, okay. actually have to, but like mentally I had to change my trousers. Sure, it, sure. it truly was a... Bosun, fetch me my brown pants moment. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> so, yeah, the house has already tried to kill me once, um, which shouldn't be that surprising since it was built in 1950 and uh, uh, inhabited by members of the same family right up until we bought it. So we're, we're doing a lot of modernization. Um, 
but uh, we're we're over the moon. We're really happy to be in here. So that's that's our big news. So that's me. And now that I've you know taken up two minutes of our time with that, who the heck are you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin and drama teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, and I just would like to tell our audience, I fucking told you so. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you've heard the hiatus episode yet, Ed, you've been knee deep in Pergo or whatnot. Uh, but, <laughs> Amongst other things. Yeah. But I literally said something along those lines. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you, you yeah. told somebody, but I was not here to hear it. So it, in, true, my, true. In, in my defense. You so, oh, so you only called it on good called it good to know. Good to know. I, I've been knee deep in Pergo. <laughs> no, I there was a five minute episode that I recorded oh, okay. to let people know that we're on hiatus because right, we're right. to a new house. Okay, uh, and in that I had mentioned it's nice to know I'm the only one listens to our show. Yeah, uh, whatever. <laughs> but it's not like you could like you know put on headphones while you're you know pergoing. So <laughs> the look I'm getting, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, so your house tried to kill you. Uh, yes. And uh, yeah, it's it's also born in 1950. I do have a question about your house. Uh, are you the second owners or are you the third owners? We are. Well, it depends on how you want to define that. I mean, OK, so like if I bought a house and then gave it to my kids and then they they moved me back in, I would consider that second owners. OK, two separate people have owned it, whether so, or not I come back to, to it or not. OK, so we would in that based on that definition, we mm-hmm. would probably be fourth owners because there was there was the, the couple still, that originally okay, so fourth owners. Yeah. From a from a from a, a, a house that was born in 1950. Yeah. Wow. So so uh, house was house was built in 50 family moved in and the. Uh, parents left the house, you know, moved yeah, out, yeah. left the house to one daughter. That daughter then sold the house, passed the house on to the woman that we bought the house from. Okay. And then we bought it. And so that's us. So we're, okay. we're fourth technically based on that fourth owners. Yeah. 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 Like you're the fourth party to own it. Yeah. 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 So. It's, it's like, I, I understand that people count Grover Cleveland as 22 and 24. Yeah, yeah, you know, but yeah. uh, you know, we we've only had forty four different men as president. Makes sense. So yeah, okay. So yeah, I don't really have any updates other than to tell folks now that we are back. It is a new year, uh, and uh, I have been eating wildebeest almost exclusively because New Year, new meat. Uh, and uh, thank you. Oh, that's really bad good news. Yeah, look at you. Uh, so, uh, but uh, so I don't have that many updates other than, you know, the, the basics. Uh, historically, what has happened is we've passed the one year pooched anniversary. Uh, we're into yet another uh, version of the plague that nobody could have predicted except for everybody who predicted it quite some time ago. Like, like, continues a, like a year itself. ago. Yeah, yes. well, yeah. It continues to well, repeat itself okay. with alarming disappointment. Um, yeah, well, so so you it's, know, it's, I mean, in, in the defense shit. of in the defense of everybody else, you know, uh, you and I are historians, and uh, one of the curses of our job is uh, our middle name is Cassandra. Yeah, true. So you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, it's been it's been awful. 
Yeah, so, no, it sucks. It sucks. But I will say this. My kids have been cooking up a storm. Well, that's uh, good. Yeah, yeah. I think this weekend uh, my son's going to want to make our own uh, ice cream cones. Nice. I'm like, who the fuck does oh, this? My oh, son does. Okay. People who eat really fucking good. Yeah, that's apparently. who does that. Yeah, I'm. So. I'm gonna tell you. Like, I. I want. I want a full report about how that goes. Because homemade, will. homemade absolutely. waffle cones have mm. got to be. Whoa. I'm hopeful. Right. I'm hopeful. Yeah, I we say this as Lembus as a fat guy. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Okay. We also made Lembus bread a few weeks ago. I remember good. seeing that. It yeah, that good. looked that Cinnamon. looked pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Like, like if you took a snickerdoodle and turned it okay. into a scone okay and then warped that scone into a biscuit i'm on board yeah was like i i could i could i could eat a lot of that with with coffee like yeah. that would that would be real dangerously easy yeah, yeah. So. very anyway. cool uh, so we did not get to finish Sherlock Holmes, and I'm really hoping that we we get to this time because yes, we were just getting into like the stuff that I remember in my childhood that didn't involve Miss Fursenthal's reading assignments. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, nice. So yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, picking up basically right where we left off. Mm-hmm. Um. Conan Doyle as a product of his time was clearly an imperialist. Like yeah. his, his outlook on the world was one in which uh, Western civilization and the march of uh, scientific progress led by the British empire right. uh, was just, that was like, that was just the best thing for everybody um, to, to him and his audience at the time it was it was the pattern on the wallpaper mm-hmm. if if you had like tried to buttonhole him about imperialism and and his most popular character mm-hmm. he he would have scoffed like no i'm not i'm not writing about empire i'm writing yeah. about a consulting detective then if you pressed him harder he probably would have come back saying he is a believer in empire and that the british empire was a force for good yeah look at all the light that it brings to the world yeah and yeah. and you know look at monty python kind of making fun of that point of view in life of Brian and kind of not making fun of it uh, <laughs> with, you know, what have the Romans done for us? You know, right. Right. It's, it's, it's the same thing. And yeah. because modernity, liberalism, classical liberalism, that is to say mm-hmm. scientific progress, et cetera, et cetera. Like yeah. linear history. Yeah. yeah. In linear history. Ipso facto, this is mm-hmm. just, this is the best thing for everyone. And there would have been a raft of racist assumptions involved that he didn't even see. Like, okay, like so did, you know, he was to the British Empire what I was to being a Giants fan for way too long. Like, <laughs> I grew up in San Francisco. They were my first team. I loved them. No matter how good or bad they were, they were yeah, my yeah. team. Yeah. Um, and then like their owners like turned really shitty in the last two or three years. And I finally said, that's it. I'm benching the team until they get new ownership. But that's fair. Still, I still, there's a part of me who hopes they're doing well. Like, you know, and so you're, so you're kind of the Jeremy Brett Granada TV version of Sherlock Holmes. 
I'm going to say yes in the hopes that you explain that reference. Oh, I will. Oh, good. I good, will good. in a moment. Oh, oh, because he, oh, yeah, okay. Okay, I see what you did there. Yes. Yeah. Huh. So, okay. so yes, I was a Giants fan, like, or a Niners fan. Same thing. Like, uh, a huge Niners fan all my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm still drawn instinctively to root for them, despite the fact that they completely abandoned a man who kneeled for principle and then continued to employ spousal abusers. Um Okay, so that's that's incredibly shitty. Like I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm totally 100% in agreement with you. Yes. But over and above that, like I have I have a hard time I have a hard time holding much respect in my in my heart for for Niners fans right now. Um just because like that's that's bad enough. Like that's that's morally bankrupt. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, even if you want to be a hardcore, like, no, no, I go to a football game to watch the football. Mm-hmm. I don't care about politics. None of that matters to me. I just want to see the team play. I'm just a fan of the game. Sure. Whatever. Even, even if you're able to convince yourself that, that that's the case, mm-hmm. when, when the team literally leaves the city that you are, that, that they have been part of, for generations yes in or literally generations in mm-hmm. order to get a better tax deal and have a different city pay for their stadium yes and then they increase the ticket prices for that stadium mm-hmm. uh uh pricing I, I, out I, all of their pr- old fans pricing out all of their old fans and 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 you know completely go like a hundred percent, like blatantly corporate, and we don't give a shit about you. Mm-hmm. Like that's the point at which it becomes not merely like I intensely disagree with the fact that you're still so loyal to this organization because oh my god, look at who they're employing. It it actually gets to the point where I look at you and I'm like, what are you fucking stupid? Well, and again, like, do you do I've you not understand? No, I yeah, I no, no, I know, team, I, but I know you yes. have, but I'm yeah. I'm just I'm ranting oh, at this other point yeah. because like like other Niners fans, it's like a fucking cult, you know. At least at least a bunch of the Raiders. This is the only time you're ever going to see me hear me <laughs> say anything good about Raiders fans ever. And and like the one good thing I can say about most of the Raiders fans I know is when the Raiders ownership packed up and moved to Las Vegas. 90% of the Raiders fans I know went, fuck them. I'm done. Like well, forever. They're they dead to me. Oakland, LA, Oakland. Like they yeah. bounced a yeah. couple times. And then, so, and yeah. then they left to go to, yeah. I, and I mean, yeah. that still is like an abusive fucking relationship that they find, but they finally got out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the thing. Because I grew up he in, left. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? But they had the good sense to be like, you know what? He's gone. I'm better off. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I grew up in San Diego. So and so so particular enmity toward the Raiders. Well, number one, I, yeah. I like it's it's genetic. I, I hate the Raiders, even though nobody else in my family is like at all a sports fan. Mm-hmm. I, like out of out of hometown loyalty. I was like, yeah, no, fuck the Raiders <laughs> like forever uh, and still fuck the Raiders, but for different reasons now. Uh, but like the the ownership the spanos family the ownership of of the chargers mm-hmm. is a bunch of shitty douchebags yes you said spanos i'm like oh yeah and oh. and and the the father mm-hmm. passed away and the eldest son took over general ownership general mannership what whatever 
And he immediately, the moment he took over, he started trying to find an excuse to move the team up to LA. Right. Because like San Diego wasn't fucking good enough for him. Right. And then he finally did it. And now they're playing in a soccer stadium in fucking Downey, or at least they were for the last two years. I, I think, I think their stadium is done. Oh, by the way, they're sharing it with the fucking Rams who left and then came back who left and then came back. Like, I mean, this whole thing, they left, won a championship, then came back, then came back. Yeah. Like I, I would point out that's two professional teams that San Diego has lost to LA. They keep stealing your girl. Well, yeah, number one, uh, number two, and and they moved in with the other person's lover. So like they, they left to go be part, to be partner number two in a, in a polyamorous abusive relationship. Yes. Yes. I I wouldn't even call it polyamorous. Just abusive is fine. Yeah. (laughs) And, and so like, they're they're the side chick for LA. Yeah, they are. They and and here's the deal: when when the Chargers moved up to LA, mm-hmm. there were sports fans in LA mm-hmm. who were very loud about, like a lot of them who were very loud about, "Fuck off, we don't want you here." I bet. Well, because they've chased like, two teams out already, who both yeah. came back, and then, like, so oh, so you oh, know, so I mean, it's it's just it's it's ridiculous to me that like anybody. There, there is, there is a level. I mean, understand. I am, I am a believing Catholic mm-hmm. with with everything that that carries along with it. Well, we and talked about it I, in the AC base episode. Yeah. yeah, and I look at people who are still loyal to the Niners, and I'm like, what <laughs> are you like, dude? Do well, you... at least you get like the promise of an afterlife or something. You know, this is true. Yeah you know i'm membership or something yeah well yeah you know but but the thing is i'm not i'm not still clinging to the glory of the first crusade you know nine hardcore Niners and the fans. second i'm and, sorry <laughs> i was a huge i was a bigger fan of steve young than i was of Joe montana all right i'm that well, one yeah okay based everyone on, yeah, else that's yeah. fair that's yeah, fair yeah. But, but but like you know five super bowl rings five rings like yeah could, one was should have been six should yeah, have been six wasn't fair, fair. Wasn't. Fair. So <laughs> I'll I'll yeah. okay, fine. We'll go mm-hmm. with should have been six, but when was the last time they even got close to winning one? That time. Uh yeah, so yeah. like yeah. I was I was still married, so we're talking so half a dozen years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like come not on. More. Yeah. Come on. Yep. Like, yeah. So anyway. All right. Um, so uh he was to uh Sir Arthur Cronin Doyle was yeah. to British imperialism what I was to bear used to be to yeah. to Bay Area sports. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um and, and that's and that's just and and so that colored the characterization of Holmes, that colored sure. the characterization of how everybody else around him looked at Holmes. Remember the detectives of the yard always came to him looking for help. And when they were talking to him, they were always kind of fawning as like, well, you know, I don't think anybody, but you can figure this out. Mm -hmm. And then it got solved and he always got written out of the news stories. And he was like, whatever. I know. I I, I know I'm awesome. Like similar to the Batman dynamic that you brought up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so now I'm I'm going to make a pretty big jump here. Okay. Because if I if I spent time going into the the broader history of mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes in media, we'd end up with another series of Batman episodes, and ain't nobody got time for that. So <laughs> we've uh, done enough. Yeah. To to sum up, 
Mm-hmm. Um, as time went on, because of the popularity of this character, because of how huge Sherlock Holmes had become in the public consciousness, mm-hmm. and because you know Doyle by the by the 30s, of course, Doyle had had died, and so you know the 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 earliest stories of the character started coming into the public domain. And so we see multiple radio series mm-hmm. uh, being made in the 1920s and 1930s. Uh, and then uh, Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, right, um, who had played uh, Holmes and Watson in mm-hmm. one of those radio series together, wound up uh, taking over the same roles in a movie series from 1939 to 1946. I should point out that's a seven-year span, and they made 14 films in that time. Wow. They were, they were cranking them out to a year, and yeah. they kept making them, so they kept making money. It's worth noting. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And also, uh, you know, if you have a short story, you can adapt to a screenplay because a lot of these were short stories. You can adapt it to a screenplay. You have the two actors. You want to make make hay while the sun is shining, you know, yeah. like before they oh, yeah. age out. Yeah. Um, and they're, I'm sorry, but they are kind of formulaic. You're not wrong. Like, yeah. I'm not going to even even a hardcore Holmesian isn't going to yeah. argue with you. So about they're that. they're. Yeah. It's it's a nice it's it's comfort movie on some levels. It's it's there for people who want to feel intellectual, but also it is beat, 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 beat like it. Yeah. All of that makes a lot of sense. And and then you add into that what the what the what the movie studio system was like. Oh, yeah. In, in that time. And oh, and yeah, that makes a lot of sense that they're cranking out a shit ton yeah. of movies, quite oh, honestly, yeah. and yeah. that they're able to make money with it because. I'm thinking about like the locations you could reuse sets like crazy. Oh for, yeah, well, for a home story, especially a short story. Well, yeah, because because the the uh, flat at 221B Baker Street, mm-hmm. you've got the set built. You can use it in every one of the movies. It's the same. It's literally the same place. Right. And you know, if you're filming any kind, any other kind of period drama from mm-hmm. the tail end of the 19th century, you've already got dozens of sets lying around that you could reuse from whatever other films you're making. And you're assuming an actual eye toward accuracy, which the studio system at that time did not have. Oh no, they didn't care about it. But, right. You know, but at the same time you still have that and that's cool. Yeah. And, and the stories are even, even the most action packed of them are still essentially drawing room mysteries. Exactly. Um, and, and you can so, redress the drawing room to look like another room to be, really to be right? really anything. And they're yeah. all in black and white. So you yeah. don't even really need to repaint anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. You could drape something and it looks yeah. like a totally different room. Yeah. And then shoot it from the opposite side. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you okay. don't even, so, yeah. So anyway, it makes a lot of sense to make as many of these movies as you Oh can. yeah. Yeah. The Basil and, Rathbone and yeah. Nigel, uh, Nigel Bruce. Ruffnell. Oh yes. <laughs> But Holmes, these go to eleven. <laughs> these go to eleven. Um, oh my God, uh, what is, Watson! I, what is that song you were playing on the violin? That's uh, "Lick My Love Pump." Yeah. <laughs> and now I want to see that mashup. I kind of do. Um, too. You know, producer so, George, get on it and figure out how to make that work. Right. So uh, now this series is one of the ones because they made fourteen of these movies, mm-hmm. and because. You know, in the early days of television and actually even into 
our own our own generation mm-hmm. you know if you need something to put on the screen you know at eight o'clock at night on a saturday yeah to fill programming it's safe. you know fill fill yeah i mean you know yeah. nobody's nobody's gonna hate on it it's not gonna be offensive to anybody like right. here you go right and so basil rathbone and nigel bruce kind of became in the popular imagination mm-hmm. uh from the from you know the 40s up through easily the 1970s mm-hmm. if you imagined uh sherlock holmes he probably looked like basil rathbone and your mm-hmm. imagine mm-hmm. and and unless you were really paying attention to the details in the books if you imagine dr watson he looked like nigel bruce mm. now the thing is nigel bruce looked a lot more like me than he looks like jude law and <laughs> jude law is a lot more actually accurate to how Watson is described in the stories. He was very physically fit. He was right. athletic and, you know, tan and, you know, well, he was in good shape other than an unfortunate limp from an Afghani ball in his, mm-hmm. in his leg. And, and this is one of the things that, you know, really hardcore Holmesians uh, dislike about this series is that it it's kind of a disservice to Watson <laughs> because the screenwriters found themselves in a position to be like, well, we don't know what to do with Watson because, yeah, he, that. because he's the narrator. Yeah. So there's so, also, yeah, so there's less like, iconography around him too, just in general. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so, he, you know, if there was a, if there was a, a paint bucket somewhere, Watson was going to step in it. Mm-hmm. And and he he really became very sidekicky and kind of the comic relief. Yeah. Um, which was a disservice to the character. But Nigel Bruce, you know, did played a great on, job with played it. on and did a great job with it, yeah. and, you know, made made the most of the material. And in terms of visual dynamism, like you have a tall thin and you have a short fat. Yes. Yeah, you, no, it makes I mean yeah. aesthetically it totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm going to skip several decades. Totally fine. Um, because again, if we spend all of our time going into every interpretation of Holmes, we're going to be mm-hmm. here forever. Um, but I'm, I'm going to move to a whole new medium now. Okay. And I'm going to talk about television. Okay. I'm going to argue that because of the nature of the Holmesian stories of, 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 of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. uh, the small screen suits the story i think better than the movie theater okay because it it suits a drawing room mystery i think a little bit more yeah it doesn't need to be a big screen doesn't doesn't need to be huge it's more intimate Mm -hmm. um the the feeling of claustrophobia or in in some of the stories or the or the feeling of hey we've got to look at this very specific detail Mm -hmm. you need to spot this very small thing i think suits a smaller screen a bit better and even though the emotional stakes of the stories are very high Mm -hmm. the scale of them is generally very small yeah um you know, there, there are a couple of places where it's like, well, you know, this is going to cause a huge diplomatic incident if we don't solve this problem. <laughs> right. But it's not like the world is there's there's I think there's like one story where and it's very clearly a reference to the, the looming threat of World War One. Mm-hmm. And that's the only one of the stories that I can remember off the top of my head in which the stakes are, you know, 
earth shattering Mm -hmm. in, in every other case, it's no, we need to solve this problem because it's a problem. And because, you know, the, the emotional stakes are there, you know, somebody has been horrified by an ear arriving in a cardboard box and we're trying to figure out, you know, what, what happened with this, you know, it's that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and in the middle of saying all of this, I, I do need to say, um, I'm a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes movies, like the, the Robert Downey Jr. Jude Law Holmes films, which I've referenced now by talking about Jude Law specifically mm-hmm. as, as Watson. I'm a huge fan of them. They're, they're incredible fun. It's really clear that everybody who was involved was having an absolute blast. And Robert Downey Jr.'s interpretation of Holmes is is it's amazing. Like, I, I don't know how else to say it. I'm, I, sure. I really enjoy it, but they feel a lot more like, Hey, we're going to do a steampunk story and we're going to use Sherlock Holmes as a character mm-hmm. rather than being really, no, no, we're going to do a Sherlock Holmes story. If that makes sense. The scale yeah. as much is, is very big. It's very bombastic. It's a big Hollywood production with lots of explosions and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's, it's an action movie more than it is a drawing room mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, and I think that grandiosity makes it feel, especially if you're a purist, which I'm not totally, but I can understand the idea behind it. Mm-hmm. If you're a purist, that's, that kind of takes away from, from the Holmesness of the whole thing. So anyway, getting, getting back to TV, uh, mm-hmm. any discussion of Holmes on TV, I think has to include the Granada television series, right. the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Now this ran from 1984 to 1994. Mm-hmm. It was uh, a production by Granada television, as I mentioned in its name. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were making the show for the BBC. Mm-hmm. And so important note, because there are going to be distinctions that are going to come up later. This is a British adaptation of the characters okay. And um, it is an adaptation. It is a screen adaptation that takes place in the original time period of the stories. So it is not any kind of a modernization. Okay. It is. No, no. And now we are going back to the thrilling days of Victorian yesteryear. Right. You know, and and we're going to, you know, and, and the scripts were all direct adaptations of Doyle's stories. Mm hmm. Now, Jeremy Brett was the actor who portrayed Holmes, uh, and his performances defined the character, in my opinion, defined the character for a generation. I, I, I genuinely think, especially for people who are hardcore Holmesians, mm-hmm. Jeremy Brett's performance is probably, is, is if they do not say he is the best Holmes ever, he's going to be in their top three. Is this the one that was on PBS Mystery? Yes. Ah, okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, Brett very much worked from the angle of Holmes being a mind without a heart. And okay. and this was a quote he attributes to, to Conan Doyle. It's one of the mm-hmm. things Conan Doyle said in his correspondence about the character. Um, in the Granada series, it's notable that we see his homes really hitting the really intense high points of mania and really deep melancholy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and Brett does an amazing job of even when Holmes's uh, verbal tone is totally flat, mm-hmm. his eyes are incredibly intense. Okay. Like Brett, Brett really pulls a, 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 a Toshiro Mifune on, on a number of times where it's just like his, his, the, the, the expression strictly around his eyes mm-hmm. conveys there's a lot going on. Sure. That, that his lines don't, don't express like now, verbally. Now, normally on this show, yeah. we will look at the time in which it was made. I'm getting there. Wonderful. Okay. So now the series ran from 1984 to 1994. Mm-hmm. And now this is a time period during which the UK is climbing up out of the nadir of its prestige. The loss of empire. Yes. By this time, the empire was a, a faded memory. Yes. A, 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 rapidly becoming distant memory they had made the decision to not empire anymore yes and then had a yes. few convulsions once maggie thatcher got in yes and yeah. so thatcher was in power at this time this is 1984 yeah. and so the post-war consensus was under hard threat from the right right and in many um, ways like the uh, you know speaking of things being prescient uh <laughs> the 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 loss of prestige and power settled in and some people in an effort to reject that uh swung far to the right and tried to undo all of the very good reasonings for why you should uh, let go of the empire up to and including trying to take a bunch of penguins from argentina It's funny that you mentioned that because that's my very next bullet point. The Falklands oh, geez, were <laughs> the Falklands were well, no, it's perfect. The Falklands were had been in 1982, and that was the first major military undertaking that British had had done since the Suez in 56. Which, as you'll probably recall, uh, those of you who are you know longtime listeners, like really longtime listeners. Uh, we'll remember that that the Suez crisis got mentioned when I was talking about Maggie Thatcher and Warhammer 40,000 because that was a crippling, even though they won militarily, like the, like their, their invention intervention in Suez was like a cakewalk militarily. Um, It led to the British prime minister at the time, getting a very, very harsh tongue lashing, uh, from uh, the president of the United States and from Russia, uh, like the, the, by, by this the time, UN by this time, Security that was Eisenhower. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, the UN security council, the Soviets, like everybody was like yeah. the fuck UK. Yeah. You See, know, we can come together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just, congratulations. You've right. just solved international conflict for a week. Cause you're the asshole. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and so it, it had been a military victory, but a complete political disaster. Mm-hmm. And the fallout from it had, I think, been, uh, I mean, by this time, the, the British were already working to dismantle their empire just because they couldn't afford to maintain it anymore. Yeah. But I think this really was the point at which it became clear to everybody in British politics 
like no matter which party they were in or or what their position was on the empire they they figured out okay you know what this is this is the 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 ultimate we can't argue with it anymore sign that we are no longer the hegemon right like we did this thing and everybody else is giving us shit mm-hmm. our time has passed like and and i i think that was really and and I mean I'm saying this of course as, as an American who was born you know 19 years after Suez happened, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I I think you know looking kind of broad brush historically I think that really was uh, the event that we can look at as as truly the the sunset of empire. Yeah, it was for not a for the Brits. One. No, no, it was it was it was yeah. a very rapid rapid sunset into a very harsh cloud bank like yeah no no it is dark now we're done um and so at the same time that's going on in 1984 Mm -hmm. uh there is major labor unrest the national miners union uh, was Mm -hmm. in the middle of a strike that they would go on to lose um which dramatically weakened organized labor in the nation as a whole this and this and this was part of a generalized rightward shift. Yeah. And so the period of Holmes's adventures is depicted uncritically at mm-hmm. the very least it's depicted mm-hmm. uncritically and frankly with, with a, with a kind of a glow of nostalgia attached to it. Um, in, in the same way that like in the 1980s, people watched, uh, leave it to beaver about the fifties, you know, late forties or fifties. And they were like, you know, those, those, those were the good old days, you know, right. It's, it's that same, that same kind of, kind of nostalgic kind of, kind of looking back now in this series, um, Jeremy Brett's portrayal, like I said, he, he really hits, he really, he really hits the, the very highs of, of the near mania, when Holmes is, is, you know, engaged in a case and is fired up and going after something. Mm-hmm. And he does an incredible job of showing the, the deep melancholy and the terrible depressions, the, the black moods that he gets into when he's, when he's between cases and he does, and he's bored, doesn't have anything to do. <laughs> um, and his, his portrayal of Holmes's struggle and eventual, uh, eventual defeat of his cocaine addiction is is an, an amazing performance it's it's um, yeah and brett it's interesting to note himself was uh bipolar oh okay and as the series wore on into the 90s by by the time of the last series he was in very ill health uh largely as a, a result of number one being a a chain smoker mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, the side effects from the medication he was taking for his bipolar disorder. Um, and so, but he, he include, like he, he took his own knowledge of his own struggle and used that for the character. I think to very great effect. Holmes is a bit mad mm-hmm. more than a bit mad. And he's deeply cold in his manner. Right. But he's simultaneously very profoundly motivated by a moral imperative. 
um, it is very clear. You can see from Jeremy Brett's performance that even though his, his wording is cold and kind of detached sounding or imperious or whatever, when he confronts the bad guys at the end of an episode, his tone of moral indignation at just how awful they were is very clear. And there mm-hmm. is very clearly a moral uh, 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 motivation for what he's doing. Right. Truth and justice are at least a significant part of his motivation mm-hmm. to solve cases in the series. Um, a particular of particular note is the case of the dying detective uh, where there's there's an amazing moment where he, he stands in the street and he points his cane as, as part of his his he basically comes up like standing there on the street. It looks like the bad guy has won. And, uh, you know, in, in true Holmesian fashion, he has a whole big convoluted plan occur to him like right there and in the street points his cane at the bad guy and gives this pronouncement about, you know, I'm, I'm going to see you hang or words to that effect. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, his moral indignation and the righteousness of what he's doing, because he's literally helping a widow and, an, and, and her child against mm-hmm. this guy who's, you know, stolen their inheritance from him. Um, you know, his, his, his moral indignation is, is obvious and it's clearly, you know, what's, what's driving him to, to keep fighting. Right. It's not just a problem to solve. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. just about like solving the problem is certainly a big part of it because he's got this overactive brain. He has to keep busy, but he's motivated by a moral imperative at the same sure. time. Sure. And so kind of what we're looking at here is memory of what the empire was is still being viewed with nostalgia, but in the characterization that we get of Holmes, there is more emphasis than there was before on his fragility. We, we see how, how he is flawed. We see that he's no longer just, nothing but an unquestioned titan of intellect Mm -hmm. he's still admired he's still admirable but he struggles he struggles with his addiction he is plagued by his depressions he he hurts now i mean my immediate question would be to ask is that how the british saw their empire because you also, at the exact same time as this is coming out, mm-hmm. Margaret Thatcher survives an assassination attempt by the IRA. Remember? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. uh, although, in fairness, I don't know how British TV series work. So I assume that they're going by the fall schedule kind of thing. But I could be wrong. But she survives her attack in October of 84. Yeah. It basically says, come at me. Um, yeah. And, and so and she becomes the Iron Lady just at a time where Holmes is brittle. Here's the deal. Mm-hmm. She becomes the iron lady, but the empire, the memory of what the empire was. Right. I think does not, does not gain the same 
like the I I, I I'm it trying to figure like out how to verbalize that. it. I think the okay. the her her morphing into the Iron Lady, like the the modern incarnation of you know Elizabeth Regis, mm-hmm. you know uh, Gloriana is the word I'm looking for. Uh, you know Thatcher turning into the Iron Lady is a is a reaction to the and this is all me me you know psychobabbling this whole thing but but sure. i think i think the memory of the empire people were starting to understand that the empire as it had been mm-hmm. was not untouchable they 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 saw now that like no no the empire was not inevitably going to last forever. The empire did fall apart. And so the empire was never unassailable. Right. Does that make sense? Her Thatcher becoming the incarnation of this idea of the iron lady, I think is more totemic of a, a Phoenix kind of idea. Okay. That's what I was wondering if it was, um, essentially like he's he's taking god i want to say almost the pathos of britain's fragility and she's she's also like they're two sides of the same coin the stronger the the more iron she is the the weaker he's allowed to be like the more they're allowed to admit that the empire is done because she's strong i think i think there could be something to that okay i think i think that's 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 a valid kind of historiographic in, in interpretation. Okay. Um, I think there might have been more of a separation in in the popular subconscious between the empire that was and the United Kingdom that is now. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I and I think by this time most everybody in, in the United Kingdom had just accepted that we're not an empire anymore. Like, yeah, we have this Island in the South Atlantic that's ours. <laughs> and like, we're going to defend it because it's the last vestige of, of what we once were. Sure. And also, you know, the Argentines were basically fascists. So fuck them. But yeah, you know, sure. I mean, there's, there's not really, I mean, like it's, it's like the Falklands war is a great example of a 40 K conflict. Cause you're kind of looking at it like, well, there's one group that's like really shitty. You just kind of root for injuries. And and there's there's another group. Well, like you pick which army you're going to play and you just recognize that like, yeah, you're picking the best of a bad lot. Like, right, you right. know, um, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd go Brits because, you know, fuck fascists, but you know, like yeah, still I'm, it's I'm like the, that. Yeah. Um, but um, so I, I think, I think the subconscious, understanding of the empire that no longer existed Mm -hmm. was becoming more nuanced and their view of it Mm -hmm. was nostalgic and it was this is this is back when things were simpler and right you know holmes was the superhero and whatever but at the same time all of a sudden now we see they recognize that holmes isn't perfect in every way right you know, and there's and there's the beginning of the understanding that Holmes is a is a human figure for all of his, you know, grandiose abilities and his proto superhero kind of characteristics. Mm-hmm, 
So uh, that's the Granada series in a okay. nutshell, as okay. it, it, at least as it relates to my to my thesis. Um, if you if you are able to find it on a streaming service somewhere, highly recommend it. It's amazing. It's a whole lot of episodes. It's you know ten years worth of worth of Holmes television, but like seriously, watch it because it's great. So now we're gonna we're gonna jump ahead. So the Granada series ended in 1994. Okay. And in 2004, um, Fox decided that they were going to do a show that was a modern reimagining of Holmes mm-hmm. with House. Oh, and right, right. and now the thing is, uh, it's an interesting story. The uh, showrunner had initially decided that he he wanted an American actor to play House. He he didn't want a Brit doing a fake American accent because they they bugged him. They just like he, I can always tell when a British actor is doing an American accent. It's just it's jarring. It sucks. I you know sure. I understand you know I'm, I'm doing this homage to Holmes with this whole thing, but like no, well. And um, Hugh Laurie recorded an audition tape in a hotel bathroom. That's an amazing story. Uh, but he recorded this audition tape in a hotel bathroom, uh, wound up uh, using a, an umbrella in, in place of a cane as a prop as part of the recording. And um, the casting director mm-hmm. sent it to the showrunner because Hugh Laurie is a British actor, of course, but uh, he, he did such an amazing American accent that the casting director sent it on to the showrunner and the showrunner was not familiar with Hugh Laurie. So he oh. didn't realize he was a Brit until he'd said, yeah, that's the guy hire him. So kind of a double blind test. Kind of. And what's know. remarkable is Hugh Laurie actually hated watching himself doing his american accent like it it made him flinch like he did it and 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 he kept doing it for eight years on the show but like he he didn't like the sound of it but but he credited his his actually really good american accent uh to having watched way too much american tv as a kid (laughs) um and so so th- this is no longer a straight adaptation of we're going to take uh, uh, the th- the orange the th- three orange pips or we're not going to take a study in scarlet we're not going to take the story and just strictly adapt it to the screen. Mm-hmm. This is we're taking the concept of Holmes and we're modernizing it and we're going to make it a medical drama because. I don't know. I don't know what the well, thought process okay, so was what, behind What that. year did you say this started? 2004. Okay, I can tell you why. ER was winding down. That's a good Grey's point. Anatomy okay. was winding up. Or actually, I don't know if Grey's Anatomy, Grey's was, Anatomy, Grey's Anatomy wasn't on yet. Okay, there you go. But ER was winding down. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you... ER and uh, Chicago Hope. Oh, I never fucked with okay, Chicago. All right, yeah. All right. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, ER yeah, had been it, huge. It had been. And I mean, it was still it still had a couple years left in it, as I recall. Yeah, Um, I think so. Because it went on until 2009. Yeah, they hadn't dropped the helicopter on the one guy yet. No, I think they had by then. Had they? 
Yeah. Okay. Um, cause, but, cause that, yeah. that was, that was the point at which, uh, uh, my best friend and his wife were like, oh, okay. Or my best friend was like, I can't watch this anymore. This is just, oh, wow. no, I'm sorry. You're going to seriously guy, guy loses a hand in a, in a freak helicopter accident, manages to get over his phobias, gets back to work. And then you literally drop a helicopter on him. Yeah. It was, it was like, a helicopter you know, that would not be denied. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Like I'm done. He walked away at that point, but so no, it crushed him. Actually, he died. No, I mean my friend walked away. Oh, from okay. The show. Okay, yeah, that makes me smart sense. ass. So, <laughs> so yeah, because because you know medical long running medical drama. Like okay, there's an opening. We can do this thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's set in the present day. Like I said, House is mm-hmm. a diagnostician, not a not a consulting detective. He's kind of a consulting detective, but he's a medical doctor and it's a different kind of mystery he's solving. And um, the fundamentals of the character are, are still the same. He's a, a human mystery solving machine who uses the latest technology and scientific knowledge to solve mysteries that baffle everybody else. He's always the smartest guy in the room. He's, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's the same character. It's also a misanthrope. So we're pulling on that same social awkward and a drug addict. Yes. Now here's the thing. Yeah. Holmes mm-hmm. was never cuddly. Like Conan Doyle wrote him as being cold, yeah. kind of prickly. Yeah. I was going to say bristly. Yeah. Yeah. House ramped the detachment up to 11 mm-hmm. and then not only made him cold and detached, but actually turned him into a misanthrope and an asshole. Yes. As Conan Doyle wrote the character, he was not really a misanthrope. As as Conan Doyle wrote the character, he was he was just moving faster than everybody else in the room. Yeah. And when he and when he realized that nobody else was keeping up with him, it was always kind of like, "Oh, right. I'm sorry, you're not as smart as I am. Let me explain." Right. Which which is you know condescending and fucking annoying, but but he not like. But he didn't mean it as such. Yeah. It was it was no? I'm really sorry. I forgot that you're not as smart as i am you're you're whereas this one it was a you're not on my level right i'm sorry i forgot you're you're not you know wow that's that that you can't see me no those are two different like you didn't even get peanut butter my chocolate you like put peanut butter up my camel's ass like it's for for anybody for, for for anybody not you know since since you know this is an audio medium you you missed the fact that i i did uh, John he had, Cena's. He didn't. I did. He didn't, I just John didn't Cena's. Do John Cena's finger. thing. You you had to move your fingers with well, the other hand, right. yeah, to I, make it look like West Side. I've I've, so I've had remember okay. the West Side thing, yeah, okay. and then he used that to John Cena. Okay, like, all right. That's too. Like okay, whatever. You, you I tried. Cam, you you put peanut butter. I tried. I failed. Yeah. I failed. I tried. Okay, anyway. <laughs> it was hilarious. Okay, so you succeeded then it on that level. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So anyway. I'm laughing at you, not with okay. you. Well, all right. There you go. <laughs> so that go. I can do that one, you know, one handed. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, but anyway, so, so he's, he's, he is, um, whereas house is like, he's a fucking intellectual bully. He sets oh, you up. Oh, not to just then not condescend to you. Oh yeah. Not, not just an yeah. intellectual bully. He's a fucking bully. Yeah. Um, you know, his, his, his yeah, he's just an asshole. Right. His best friend, the oncologist, Doctor Wilson. Mm-hmm. And by the way, in hindsight, I'm Wilson, ashamed. Watson. Yeah, mm. I'm, I'm ashamed I didn't see that parallel until <laughs> like he got pointed out to me. 
is possibly the longest suffering sidekick in history. Yeah. Like ever. Um, House is a terrifying genius, Mm -hmm. but he's a shitty, shitty person. Yeah. Uh, he's casually dismissive of literally everybody, like mm-hmm. all the time, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, his addiction is active and ongoing throughout the series. Right. Unlike unlike Holmes, he never completely beats it. Right. Like until until like the very end. Like I think in the last episode, by the time of the last episode, he's he he's mostly okay. clean. He's in recovery. He's in recovery, but like. I remember it took multiple seasons like before he even like admitted he had a problem, but well, anyway. why would you kill the golden goose as far as characters stuff? Yeah, this is true. You know, you know yeah. But, yeah. um, well, and I found interesting also, he walks with a pronounced limp. So they yes. subsume that into him. Yeah. They took that away from Watson and mm-hmm. put that onto him as an explanation for, okay, well, this is the reason why he's hooked on Vicodin. Right. right. You know, um, and 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 his his addiction and his just generally being an asshole causes massive destruction in his relationships with literally everybody around him right which um, enables the writers to write people out essentially yes yes which yeah. like okay there we go like cuddy famously was mm-hmm. like okay well she's not willing to take a pay cut so you know she's out Right. Uh, and and we're gonna have House, you know, drive his car into her front room. Like, okay. So, like, uh, and and we wind up finding out that uh, he's been secretly stealing prescription pads mm-hmm. from Wilson to fuel his his addiction. And Wilson winds up saying, oh, no, I've been the one writing the prescriptions at oh. one point. Oh, but but is incensed and like isn't talking to him for right. right. Half he a covers season for after him, that. But then I'm fucking done. But, but then like, yeah. you know, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's not only arrogant about his intelligence, but he consistently and constantly reminds everybody else how stupid they are. It yeah. isn't just. I'm the smartest guy in the room. It's I'm the smartest guy in the room and you're all a bunch of fucking morons. Right. Um, and everyone around him, except for his closest friends, uh, puts up with him because of his brilliance, but not out of any kind of affection or admiration. Mm. Like, like as a person that's like, no, no, he's an asshole. If we could get rid of him, we would. Cause he's a okay. prick. Okay. And he actively pushes people away with his behavior. If Laurie's performance had not been as amazingly charismatic as it was, the character would have been unwatchable. So why do we have a Sherlock Holmes? I understand the medical drama because you got to update it and medical medical procedurals were a big deal for like there had been a a path carved. But why is the American Sherlock Holmes such a prick that they can't get rid of in 2005 because mm-hmm. by 2004 we had been in afghanistan for three years mm-hmm. and in iraq for a year you mean like we empire had, mm-hmm. we had been the world's lone superpower since 1991 or 92 depending on historically where you want to like draw that line okay. our economic and military might were utterly unrivaled but the That's- underbelly of both of our invasions 
had started to show. We knew by now that we had bitten off more than we could chew in both places. The Abu Ghraib scandal had broken in April of 2004. Hmm. And that was a huge blow Mm -hmm. to our self-image as a nation of people who think we are do-gooders. That was American troops. That was National Guard troops. That was your next door neighbor who goes off to like drill once a month and for two weeks in the summertime. Right. You know, this is this is literally the boy and girl next door had committed hideous dehumanizing atrocities to prisoners at Abu Ghraib. Mm-hmm. I mean, had had just like like the Stanford experiment gone hideously awry um and it was it was just it was a graphic and shocking case of inhuman behavior by u.s troops we believed collectively that we had gone into both places for legitimate reasons Mm -hmm. we also knew that we had a problem on our hands and we were in fact the asshole um we had a role to play in the world, but the second Bush administration had by this time started to make us deeply unpopular on the world stage. Spent all our capital in the wrong direction. Yes. Our oldest yeah. allies were vexed with us, but went along because they'd known us for so long. Well, and it, you, you can't not. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it, not only are we so wrongheaded, but there's no promise that we won't be vindictive as hell. Yeah, and and I think speaking about you know vindictive credibility, also credibility credibility was was, yeah, our credibility was completely fucking shot because we'd gone into Iraq claiming weapons of mass destruction, and by two thousand four, it was pretty clear you were at best completely wrong, and and most likely you were fucking lying. Yeah, you manufactured it. No, I meant their credibility was invested because they'd lied with us for so long. Yes, 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 yes. But okay, and so back to the vindictive. Were you about to bring back to the vindictive? And uh, well, what I was what I was (laughs) about to mention was, of course, the reason that House is a drug addict, Mm -hmm. and the kind of the explanation for why it is that he's that he is such an intense asshole Mm -hmm. is that he was always kind of an arrogant jerk, but then he suffered uh, a blood clot in his leg, and in the process of trying to save his leg and his life simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we find this out in like season three, two or three. I'm trying to remember, but there's a whole episode where, where we get kind of an extended flashback of, of how that all happened um, and why he has to walk with a cane and suffers chronic pain is he he had this, this massive medical trauma in his background. And he is, he got turned into this, guy who's constantly in pain and kind of half high mm-hmm. and is, and, and like that, that exaggerated all of his worst personality traits. And so now he's just this huge, bitter asshole. Okay. Nine 11 much. Yeah. bit. you know, I was also you know, thinking though, speaking um, of like vindictive, like literally that's why we right. went to Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. I was also thinking though, that like the drug addict part, in March of 05, we had the steroid hearings in baseball. Okay. Yeah. And our president had been a baseball team owner. Yeah. And the very people that were 
uh, being tried or or were being made to testify were the biggest stars of the late 1990s that brought baseball back from the brink of uh, insolvency. I was going to say insolvency, but I think obscurity would be better. Irrelevance. Yeah, irrelevance. Um, The guys who participated in chase ball. So, you know, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Yep. But also uh, nicknamed the Rocket. What's his name? Clemens. Roger Clemens. Yeah. Um, they all testified and lied about steroids. And so there's oh, this. And bald face lied. I mean, look yeah. at Mark McGuire for fuck's sake. Yeah. Look I at any. Of, card. Yeah. Look, look at any of the pictures from that time period. Like. Yeah. It's it's obvious. how did how did the man not turn into a human cheeseburger like in the middle of a game like with right. all the shit that he was pumping in his system so but yeah because because you had them lying and basically getting away with it and you know thumbing their nose at us and saying you don't get to know these questions that you're asking there's you know you you have the extra added thing about the drugs that just that extra yeah. layer like it was already in the public consciousness a little bit the of a tweak. drugs yeah 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 so okay so so 9-11 vindictive uh, we are uh, invading places that England never even thought to go uh, in Afghanistan oh, and uh, in Iraq. Um, uh, no. So clearly we're going to no. do well there. We're, we're actually invading places the British like either invaded or had protectorate control over for decades, at least, if not centuries. What? No, I mean, we would have learned from their mistakes. I mean, no, did did yeah. did you forget no. the part in, in our last Sherlock episode where I mentioned that Watson was a veteran of an Afghan war I in thought the that was, first story? Yeah, I thought that was the, the couch of Mrs. Bathington. Um, and <laughs> no, that's, that's that's an entirely different kind of conflict that involves uh-huh. uh, more, um, shall we say, swordsmanship. Oh, um, okay. and, and was a different kind of pulp, uh, uh, uh publication oh, from the so, late Victorian era. That's, that's an entirely different. So when he stabbed at her duvets, that was, yeah, it was, the, okay. yeah, yeah, it was a different so thing. They weren't actually curtains made of beef then? No, no? They, okay. they were not. All right. No, that was never actually historically a thing oh. in the way you're thinking. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You so, like crochet. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sorry okay so so that's so that's house and that's that's yeah. our that's our american post 9-11 early 2000s afghanistan iraq war mm-hmm. hey look we're we're an empire now how great hey you know we, kind we of, just kind had of to create a character we had to create an empire so <laughs> that we could also do a sherlock holmes show <laughs> 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 never have so many uh, suffered for the benefit of so for the few benefit of so few yeah yeah so and and ne- by that i mean halliburton yeah uh, nice so so okay. while while house was still on the air because it mm-hmm. ran until 2012 um in 2010 the next big tv adaptation uh of of sherlock mm-hmm. holmes was sherlock on the bbc okay uh, produced by Russell T. Davies and co-created with Mark Gaddis and starring Benedict Cumberbatch as Holmes and Martin Freeman as Dr. Watson. I know Martin Freeman's name. That's uh, that's that's the 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 agent from Black Panther. Yes. Yes. Okay. Also Bilbo Baggins. Oh, yeah. yeah. In The Hobbit. Yeah. And also Arthur Dent in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. 
the movie. Which was the film, which was okay. actually the the first role I saw him in. Oh, and that and that predates nice. Sherlock. That's I don't remember which year. But in any event, um the show is what Sherlock is what propelled the two of them into international attention mm-hmm. because it 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 became a huge hit basically right away. The series debuted in its first season in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, both Freeman and Cumberbatch. Uh, Cumberbatch was the voice of Smog in The Hobbit. So they actually both had roles there. Oh, good Lord. And they've gone on to play roles in the MCU, Freeman in Black Panther. And right. Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch is, of yep. course, now Doctor Strange. Okay. Yeah. That's so. And now he's a Brit doing an American accent again. Yeah. But, but in, in Sherlock, of course he was an Englishman. Mm -hmm. Um, Now Sherlock is again, a completely modern adaptation of Holmes. It's set in modern day London. Uh, Holmes is now once again, a consulting detective and the titles of stories and names of characters are lifted from, the original stories. Oh, cool. The first episode of Sherlock is a study in pink, which is a play on the title of a study in Scarlet, the mm-hmm. first novel. Sure. Uh, Moriarty eventually shows up as an arc villain. Uh, Inspector Lestrade is the main contact in Scotland Yard, et cetera, okay. et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now the cues in this series from house are pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes Sherlock except for the people who become his closest friends. Mrs. Hudson is baffled by him by turns. She's frightened and exasperated by his weirdnesses and his antics. Sure. Uh, And there's kind of a mother hen kind of protectiveness of him, but he's also kind of a freak and kind of scary. Uh, In the very first episode, the crime scene text from Scotland Yard, call him a freak to his face refer to him as a psychopath kind of half behind his back. Lestrade needs his skills, mm-hmm. but doesn't trust him. Wow. Okay. So it's, so it's a really far cry from the detective who's fawned over by the kind of buffoons of the Victorian police department. Right. Um, interestingly here, differently from house, the inflection is changed house was an asshole a lot of the time on purpose. Like he, he enjoyed twisting the knife. He, he liked like flicking people and, and making them mad or, you know, making them cry. Mm-hmm. Sherlock by way of contrast is just thinking so much faster than everyone else mm-hmm. that he doesn't have time to be pleasant. Okay. Yeah. And there's a certain self-awareness of the fact that like people are not my thing in, in the very okay. first episode. Um, when when uh, one one of the texts calls him a psychopath, he turns to him and says, "High functioning sociopath, get it right." As as his response, and now the thing is, there's a sense that he's kind of engaging in a little bit of millennial sarcasm there, mm-hmm. and on a certain level, he's also not. <laughs> right, like you know, it's it's in, it's in that space where you know he's right, but he's owning it. It's yes, yeah, he's yeah. he's he's owning it, but he's also kind of exaggerating, and you know. He isn't really, we, we figure out over the course of the series, he isn't really a sociopath. He does form connections with the people who matter to him, and he cares deeply about them. 
but he he is he 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 doesn't he doesn't handle sentiment at all like he okay. he, he um he's not even a misanthrope like house he just he just doesn't get normal people okay and he has trouble at times understanding why they get upset at the way he talks to them um he's not an addict of hard drugs but he does abuse them from time to time uh between cases and he smokes uh there's there's a, a great uh back and forth between him and his brother at one point where his brother can only smoke low tar cigarettes and, and Sherlock calls him a, a beginner smoker. Um, and he abuses and he abuses nicotine patches for the stimulant effect. Okay. This Holmes is very much more interested in the mental stimulation of his work mm-hmm. than the justice behind it. This is a departure from Jeremy Brett. This is a departure from Conan Doyle. Cause there are, there are several places in the Conan Doyle stories where Holmes gets really preachy. Okay. About you know the dastardliness of, of the people they're 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 dealing with. Right. Sherlock doesn't ever do that. It's like whatever morals. Yes, I know you're making this huge big deal about how morally wrong it is. Whatever. Let's solve it. Like right, don't, right. Don't 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 get stop getting so emotionally worked up over how wrong it is. Let's solve it. Kind of mm-hmm. thing. He's arrogant. Mm-hmm. It's like supremely arrogant and and casually dismissive of people, but he doesn't spend anywhere near as much time as House telling everybody how stupid they are. He's mostly detached and oblivious. He's not actively nasty. Okay. He exhibits signs of ASD. At one point, um, Watson mentions that he thinks that that Holmes has Asperger's. Okay. Or or Holmes is on the spectrum. Sure as we would say it now, because the terminology has changed since 2010 and Asperger's uh, history of being a Nazi fuck. As, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't help. So, yeah. So uh, we see him suffer from sensory overload on several occasions. Okay. Uh, we see him engaging in stimming behaviors. So he doesn't um, have a superior British empire brain anymore. He has a modern, highly specialized at this one thing brain but in other ways it costs him yes yeah and and he is there is still along with the well you know he's he's different he's not neurotypical there is also part of that is no no he's also a staggering genius like he is in fact still the smartest guy in the room Mm -hmm. it's not just Mm -hmm. his brain works differently he is he is you know, uh, objectively smarter than the rest of us. Yeah, it's a specialized brain, but it's yeah. not a overall superior brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and which uh, sounds like England in the twenty teens. Yeah, he he. I, I want to continue with with this though because I find it yeah, interesting because because the the laundry list of these things was was interesting to me when I started thinking about it. Sure, he he has a really iffy relationship with sarcasm. He uses it like a second language like okay. he he is he is consistently dead he is he's is a deadpan snarker like mm-hmm. everywhere but he doesn't always catch it when it's directed at him oh that's funny when other people do it there are a couple of occasions on which you know watson kind of has to you know uh stumblingly because it's martin freeman being wonderful in, in that i'm just so english i have to be polite about everything kind of way saying well no it's a it's a joke at your expense and he just 
and and Cumberbatch does this wonderful kind of flat blinking, and I don't get it, <laughs> you know, and, and and moving on, and like he doesn't care. right, right, um, and and he doesn't pick up on nonverbal communication very well. Okay. Now, interestingly, at the same time, he is capable of turning on. Mm-hmm. Like when he when he needs to get something from somebody, he can turn on the mask of, hey, I'm going to be Mr. Engaged and like, how are you doing? And, you know, all all of that mm-hmm. kind of extrovert kind of kind of, you know, uh, uh, affect. Right. Um, but he's playing at it. But he's but he's playing at it. Right. He's he is he's he is putting on a mask to do it. And so the plot lines in this series are updated from Doyle's work. Hmm. There are lots of themes of conspiracy and terrorism shown up all the time. The level of violence is a lot higher than in the Granada series. Now, by 2010, Britain was coming out of a recession. Mm-hmm. Britain was culturally more open to diversity than it had been in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had another 30 years of separation from empire to develop a more nuanced outlook. Sure. In this interpretation, Holmes is a jerk with significant dysfunctions and difficult relationships, even with the people he cares about, mm-hmm. but he is that way because he's existing so much in his own head rather than because he's just an abrasive, vindictive asshole a la house. Okay. So now at this time, British troops were in Afghanistan alongside U.S. troops. Right. Watching watching the U.S. go through exactly the same thing the British (laughs) Army had gone through a century and a half before. Now they were in a supporting role. So that whole, oh, no, I'm throwing sarcasm out like everywhere. Right. Is very fitting. Watson, one more time, is an Afghanistan veteran Mm. who starts the series with a psychosomatic limp left over from the wound that got him medicaled out of the army. Okay. So so he got wounded. Mm -hmm. And in the very first episode, he's talking to his physical therapist who says to him, you don't need the cane anymore. You don't actually have a limp. And he argues with them and says, so why am I still limping? And, and in the climax of the first episode, Mm -hmm. when, when push comes to shove and he has to be the man of action that Watson historically was, the cane falls away Mm. and he bolts. He, he, he has a moment of like, no, no, I've, you know, uh, uh, thoughtlessness, mm-hmm. you know, action, action without thought reaction. Right, right. In which his injury disappears. It. Yeah. His yeah. injury disappears. And so it becomes very clear to us, the audience, mm-hmm. that, that, it, that, it, that it is, in fact, a psychosomatic limp. Self-imposed on self-imposed else. limp. Right. Does that seem symbolic? I would of say anything you think, the I mean, maybe UK's partnership with the United States would be a pretty crippling relationship, especially when <laughs> it's like, Hey, let's go back to Afghanistan a third time, England. Uh, okay. That's, that's different from the one I, I, I had, but yeah. Yeah. Also um, most people were not very, what year did this come out? 2010. 
yeah, and most people were not very high on Gordon Brown, and he was on his way out by then. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like so, in some ways, he was self-imposed. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and um, the lingering, uh, the lingering blow mm-hmm. of you know no longer being the hegemon, I think, is echoed in Watson not being able to let go of his injury. Okay. Yeah. So uh, on a more, you know, yeah. on, a, on a less, you know, current politics and a bit more, you know, broad spectrum kind of historical zitgeist kind of sure. kind of way. That's sure. where my head went. But I, I think yours are, are more more uh, lucid. That's maybe not the word I'm looking for, but but more more immediately pressing. Yeah. yeah well, there's that. <laughs> Um, so now by this time, general opinion in Britain was far less gung ho about military involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, reflecting and evo- I think an evolved outlook that found empire cringy and kind of suspicious. Yeah. I mean, David Cameron was pretty like not, not down for staying. Yeah, indeed. You know? he, he was not. Um, and by 2010, government officials who had been responsible for sending British troops into Iraq mm-hmm. were being called to explain themselves before Parliament in a whole series of hearings that lasted until 2016. Right. Which, wow, that's that's the entirety of his, his time in office. Time in office. Yes. And I mean, he's not David Cameron's not a liberal. He's a conservative. Oh, no. But he's an no. England first conservative. Which yes. And the mm. really, yeah. And the really funny thing, of course, is that the, the party that, you know, had gotten Britain involved in Iraq was the Labour Party right. under Tony Blair. Now they were still in, in, in the beginning of 2010, Labour Party was still in power. Mm-hmm. In May, they lost the general election and it went to a coalition government between the conservative and liberal Democratic Party. That's right. Which, Which is the paved. second time that happened in English history, by the way. Yes. The LibCon. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. you guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're like, okay, Which, just, just fuck the left. All right. Just, yeah, that's all just, we care. Just, that's all we care about. Which, of course, by this time, the Labor Party wasn't really the left anymore. No, it had been. Because they, mean, were, it was they the were third. Clinton they were left. third way. Yeah, it was oh. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton oh. middle. Yeah. Um, And so that paved the way. Yeah. Yeah. That paved the way for the conservative party to eventually take power without any partners in 2016 right uh theresa may's government yeah and i think that disillusion about iraq and the voters lingering suspicion of the labor party over it mm-hmm. along with the fact that this was also in the middle of a huge money for influence scandal oh that's right involving involving labor party politicians yes, yes. played played a really significant role uh, now, at the same time, Britain had had been the target of terrorist attacks themselves on 7-7 of 2005. Yep. Four suicide bombs were detonated in the London underground by Islamists who pledged allegiance to Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we see, again, like I mentioned, the themes of international terrorism, counterterrorism, which show up in the series a lot more often than anything like in the in the 1890s, of course, there was not international terrorism was not a thing just because right. the infrastructure for it to exist didn't wasn't there yet but but there wasn't anything in the original stories that was even even had the same kind of emotional feeling that it, that international terrorism carries for a modern audience there there wasn't there wasn't the same 
weird looming kind of threat which is interesting unto itself because in the 1880s and 1890s it's not like anarchists weren't bombing the shit out of royal people it's true there were several heads of state killed by not international terrorism but an international movement yeah an international movement that informed internal uh political terrorism yeah i I mean the the czar of russia was killed in not oh five that was the revolution that got put down 1885. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Like Nicholas the first? No, Alexander the third. But yeah. he was killed by bombs. Not even like, you know, friendly, friendly bullets. No, fucking bombs. Oh, yeah. And in the United States, we'd lost uh James Garfield to to Cholkosh. No, Cholkos? no, no. That's no. that's uh McKinley. No, no. No, yeah. uh, James Garfield was killed by um, all the doctors, uh, but the shot was fired by Charles Guiteau. Oh, yes. Yes. Guiteau. I love that story, yeah. too, is that like uh, they even brought twice for, for both Garfield and McKinley. They brought the uh, metal detectors like they invented a metal detector. Edison to try to, a metal try, to detector. try to find the bullet Find the bullet. But he was on a metal bed springs. Yeah, it didn't work. So. And then the the other one, they they were at the World's Fair, so they brought a metal detector over to try to find the bullet. I think it, I forget exactly what happened. I think they didn't know how to work it, or yeah, it was they, too they fat or a combination. Yeah. So probably, but anyway, a little column A, a little column B. Yeah, but <laughs> so, my yeah. point is though, is that you have a movement toward anarchism specifically. You had yes. left wing actual political violence making some pretty good successes uh given its goals and and the thing at the is, time that doyle was writing in yeah and in certain circles there were people who were really concerned about that yes but for the average reader mm, okay it it didn't have the same level of realness okay. or immediacy maybe yeah i mean it is still a russians are <laughs> far away so or yeah, it is and, still and, a, a Portuguese uh, high-level functionary far away. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or, you know, and, and and it's it's you don't have mass casualty events involved. That is a really good point. You know, by by the time of by the time of you know the modern era, we're looking at, you know, the that's the uh, whole barracks, point. the yeah, the barracks bombing in the 80s in On Beirut. Beirut. Yeah. Um, you know, the first set of attacks on the World Trade Center and the in the trying to blow up a bomb in the parking lot or blowing up a bomb in the in the other right. parking lot, you know, and, and these these are events that that caused massive trauma to huge numbers of people. Right. And then caused, I don't know if I would say secondary trauma, but but caused a separate kind of kind of trauma for everybody who witnessed it on television. Right. And so, you know, and that when, was in the popular imagination. Yeah. And yeah. in in a way that, you know, you could, if you were an author in the 1890s or the early 1900s, you could have a character, have, have an antagonist be some kind of international anarchist bomb thrower and, and be, you know, almost like the pulp novel equivalent of a Batman villain. Sure, sure. You know, it, it, would, it would be, you know, the anarchist would be this, you know, very colorful, over the top kind of character, right? Because it was still you know. public imagination. Yes, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Oh, this shit's too real. 
Yeah. Yeah. So now in, in Sherlock, Mycroft shows up and plays a pretty significant role over the course of the series. This is Holmes's older brother, who is the only person in the world uh, canonically that, that Sherlock recognizes is smarter than he is. And Mycroft in, in the original stories, Mycroft was like Holmes, nay plus ultra like Holmes Mm -hmm. is detached and kind of a snooty jerk. And Mycroft is just like, why are you even here? What the hell do you want? Um, Or, or, uh, in another case, he was, all right, I have this problem and I'm too busy with all of these other things to deal with it. But here you go. You, 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 you're good enough. You can solve. Like, I can't trust this to add to a normal person, but right. Like, so he assigned I don't, it. He didn't yeah, ask he, for help. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and Mycroft kind of does the same thing in, in the Sherlock series, but um, he's characterized as um, in Holmes's words, uh, Mycroft holds a minor position in government, except he is the government when he's not too busy being British intelligence or the CIA on a freelance basis. <laughs> okay. Now, in the end, Mycroft's motivation, uh, primarily, a lot of the time he shows up trying to protect his brother, potentially from himself. Uh, okay. Like in, in the very first episode, Mycroft shows up in the very first episode we don't know who he is for mm-hmm. a while. He's just this shady kind of seemingly sinister figure uh, who offers Watson a lot of money to spy on Sherlock and report back to him. And uh, it's funny, you know, Sherlock, you know, immediately when, when, when Watson comes home, he Watson of course turns him down because, right. you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. This, this guy's my roommate and he's kind of becoming my friend. I'm not going to do that. Sure. And uh, Watson, you know, comes home and uh, kind of <laughs> in, in, in a tone of kind of incredulousness says, you know, I, I was just kind of kidnapped by somebody uh, who, you know, uh, wanted me to spy on you. Mm-hmm. And, and Holmes looks, you know, it has been kind of detached and bored and he kind of looks up from what he was doing. He says, did he give you a name? No. Oh, okay. Of course not. Did he offer to pay you? Well, Yes. A lot of money, actually. Did you take him up on it? No. Oh, a pity. We could have split the fee. <laughs> you know, it's just a wonderful moment. But um, you know, Mike Mycroft wants wants Watson to keep tabs on Sherlock because he wants to see what his little brother is up to. And he's, you know. Mm-hmm. Um at the same time, though, Mycroft keeps an awful lot of shit secret from Holmes. Mm-hmm including a whole younger sister which is a new creation for the series who Sherlock has thought is dead for the length of the series until like the last two episodes. And I guess that's a spoiler alert, but it's been, you know, five or six years since the series yeah. went off air. Yeah. yeah. So sorry. Um, and, and so Mycroft is the government when he's not too busy being British intelligence of the CIA. Mm-hmm. And whereas Mycroft in, in the original stories, Mycroft, there's, there's a line in which Holmes basically says, Oh no, my, my brother doesn't work for the government. My brother effectively is the government. He's, he's that much smarter than I am. Like, no, no, you, you don't, you can't even begin to understand how many things right. he's got going on. And in those stories, 
that's said in a way that is like, well, he's he's keeping the whole system running, mm-hmm. you know, kind of mm-hmm. kind of like you know. Here, like I said, he's a shady character, right? Like in the end, he turns out to be not a bad guy, but like there are several places where we're like, you're working your own angle, and we don't know like how much of a good guy you really are. Like we we spend a lot of time being really suspicious of Mycroft. Okay. Like you know, and again, mm-hmm. you know, in 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 that same relationship from the original stories, bringing that to to the modern milieu, that again reflects a certain level of cynicism, distrust in what the government is telling us. Right. Um, an acknowledgement that there's an awful lot of stuff being kept secret from us. And we, we just don't know shit and we yeah. don't know. And, and we can't be sure whether it's being kept secret from us for our own good. Right. Or because there's, because if we learn that secret, we're going to learn this other secret, which is all about like, you know, bad shit being done, mm-hmm. you know, and so, you know, I think I think it's it's this remarkable encapsulation of all that stuff I mentioned about, you know, the British worldview mm-hmm. in in the twenty teens. So now, last part of my thesis, last example for my thesis, mm-hmm. we're going to move forward two years from twenty ten. So okay. so before, Sherlock, Sherlock is, do. yeah, before you do. Uh, so Mycroft is a powerful but thoroughly unreliable narrator. Yes. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I like the description. Yes. Yeah. Well, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So in in 2012, mm-hmm. uh, while while Sherlock is still this huge thing, um elementary debuts on cbs so this is another american interpretation okay of holmes (laughs) and there was immediate criticism uh of of everybody behind elementary because they were saying you're just trying to capitalize on the popularity of sherlock like this is knockoff Mm -hmm. this is gonna suck johnny lee miller uh plays holmes and he and cumberbatch actually are good friends and uh, there, there was actually some back and forth thing, friendly mockery between the two of them when, when Miller took on the American version of the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lucy Liu plays Dr. Joan Watson. Oh, okay. In a casting choice that made a lot of fans, a lot of Holmes fans, oh, distinctly Jesus. nervous. Yeah. Well, okay, not maybe not entirely for the reasons you're thinking of. I mean, there was a lot of the reasons you're thinking of, but we'll get to. Okay. We'll get to the reasons why, like I was concerned okay. in a minute. So Holmes is still an Englishman, but the show takes place in New York. Uh, because as we find out in the first episode, Holmes uh, had to leave England because the crime in England wasn't interesting enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is, as I said, this is another modern adaptation. We've got surveillance cameras, cell phones, all, all the modern trappings of this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And now here's the thing. This is a very different take on Holmes, though. Johnny Lee Miller's Holmes is covered in tattoos, Mm -hmm. has a very short buzz cut, 
Um, and he is, and, and these are some of the outward sides, like the visual shorthand for him being a fucked up individual. And when I say that, I don't mean like morally bankrupt. I mean, he is damaged. He, he is damaged. Well, very often uh, the psychology of uh, tattoos, especially with people who have been deeply traumatized, you will see quite often a, a higher degree of tattooage on their bodies. And it's because, as, as has been explained to me at least, um, the scars on the inside, they cannot control. However, a tattoo is a beautiful scar. Okay. So it's this an makes sense. thing. It's a, yeah, okay. it's a it's a reclamation thing. So reclamation empowerment kind of deal. Okay. Yeah, and honestly, yeah. they they touched on that a little bit in House of Cards with one of the characters. Um, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So and it seems to honestly fit with the veterans that I know. Like yeah. the ones that get really tatted up. It's like yeah, oh, you're they've also seen dealing shit. with some shit. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, um, so 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 He's this holmes, fucked up individual yeah this holmes has massive daddy issues mm-hmm. his mother was an opiate addict he spent several years in a drugged out state because he thought the love of his life had been murdered by a serial killer and at the start of the series he's introduced to watson because she's going to be his sober companion oh okay uh joan there is no there is no i'm looking for an apartment uh, somebody recommended that I go, you know, find this guy who's, who's, you know, looking for a roommate to help him pay the rent. None of that. It is no, no. Joan Watson gets hired by Sherlock's father to be his sober companion because he's come out of rehab. Okay. And you know, if I'm going to keep sending him money and letting him live in one of my properties I own in New York, then he's got to stay clean, and you're going to make sure he does. Now, this is currently two different series wherein somebody without Holmes's knowledge has hired or attempted to hire a second person who to is keep tabs to him, on them, to keep tabs and to be a caretaker of sorts. Yeah. And it's out of a concern, but it's a remote fucked up. I can't actually express a concern. Whereas yeah. before it was you had basically Aunt B uh, pecking <laughs> over him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and, and and it's it's clearly a thing of uh, with Sherlock Holmes, someone has to take care of him. He yes. is not a complete person, no matter what the iteration of him it is, whether yeah, it's house he needs, or it's yeah, he yeah, always he needs, needs a caretaker. He needs an ordinary person to keep him grounded. Yes, uh, but now it's it's much different. It's a little more clandestine and and based on wealth and yeah. There's well, a duplicity that that's involved yeah. in even the asking, but it's a duplicity seeming to come from a good place. Yeah. Well, and, and here Watson, like, like Watson shows up on the front step and says, hi, your father hired me. I'm going to be your sober companion. Mm. Like there's no, okay. there, there is no, it's not at all clandestine. It's, oh, it's okay, okay. because because the, the nature of being a sober companion is such that I couldn't be kept a secret. It is per, perhaps no, no, without his uh, without, without his, his, without his full, consent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, okay. you know, and 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 the lack of enthusiasm in his consent is made very clear mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty quickly in the first episode. Um, but uh, Miller's Holmes is a very American version of the character. Mm-hmm. In that he, we go back to him having a superhero's kind of drive to catch the bad guys. The thrill of the hunt thing is still there, sure, 
but the emphasis now moves away from house and Sherlock being more about the game. And he's, he's a lot more interested in stopping the bad guys because they're the bad guys doing morally bad things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. than, than Cumberbatch or Laurie were. You get the sense in watching him that Miller's interpretation of Holmes is he's detached and aloof and dismissive, not because of his arrogance. He, he does know he's the smartest guy in the room and he is arrogant and, and mm-hmm. like he knows it, uh, but because he's scared to death of getting attached to anyone and getting hurt either by abandonment or by having them get hurt because of him. Sure. Okay. Instead of a mind without a heart, he's a mind with a big, soft, raw bleeding heart that he's trying very, very hard to protect. Okay, I want to. I want <laughs> each time along the way we've compared it. So yeah, I want to hear. Well, this. hold on. I'm going to okay. get into his relationship to the other characters first. Okay. So Sherlock shows shows Holmes as somebody nobody trusts because he's weird and detached. Mm-hmm. Elementary shows him as somebody who people distrust because he's a former junkie and he's damaged goods. Mm-hmm. Lestrade in this incarnation isn't exasperated by Holmes. And actually it's not Lestrade. I don't remember the inspector's name, which is a shame Mm -hmm. because it's a great performance, Uh, but he's not exasperated by Holmes. He's out. He is out to try to protect him from himself. I need to keep him busy because if I don't, if I don't bring him in, number one, it's, it's, it's useful for me because he is, you know, smarter than all my own people. Mm -hmm. Gregson, it's inspector Gregson in this show. Um, Gregson keeps him around because he's useful, but also because like, I saw what he did for Scotland yard. I was over there on a, on a, you know, trade program. Right. And I saw what he did in Scotland yard and I saw the work he was able to do. And he, he helped me out an awful lot. And so I owe it to him that I've got to try to keep him busy and keep him employed. And as long as he's employed, he's not going to kill himself with drugs. Okay. Um, the relationship with Watson is very different, not just from the outset with uh, the, the introduction of, of Watson as explicitly a, no, no, I'm here to keep an eye on you mm-hmm. and, you know, keep you out of trouble. But also in elementary, Holmes starts training Watson to be his protege. He says, I'm going to take you on as my apprentice because I see that you have an analytical mind that's being wasted in the job that you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Joan Watson in this series was a surgeon. She doesn't have a military background in this, in this version. She was a surgeon who left surgery and basically left an entire life behind Mm -hmm. when she had a patient die on the table. And she's, and she's running from the trauma of that running from that failure. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of, they they get into a lot of remarkable psychology and character development for her character. Mm -hmm. Um, And as the series progresses, the two of them become more like partners really than any previous pair of, of Holmes and Watson, not just you're tagging along and let me explain it. It's yeah. I'm literally depending on you for your part on this. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not just, you know, I mean, cause, cause the original Holmes said I I wouldn't Mm -hmm. be, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be anything without my Boswell. Sure. 
Um, you know, and, and, and there was always a very deep friendship and on an emotional level, Holmes needed Watson, Gotcha. but here he actually says, no, no, you're, you're going to be my partner. You're smart enough. Mm-hmm. You have the potential to learn how to do what I do. Right. And, uh, there are tones a couple of times where there might be some kind of sort of romantic tension. And that was what I was worried about. Okay. That was what worried me about. It wasn't Lucy Liu, who's an amazing actress, and I knew whatever they did with her, she was going to be great. Right. I was worried about the fact. Oh no, this is an American TV show. So there's gonna and there have and there, to be a there's going to have to be a will they or won't they? Right. You know they and fortunately they they don't ever get caught in that trap. They manage to avoid falling into that, and okay. it it actually turns into a great partnership between friends mm-hmm. without turning into a romantic thing. And, right. and I loved seeing that because it's very refreshing, especially when you choose to change Watson to a, to a woman, right. Then not, yeah, not going into the, well, obviously they're going to fuck like, you know, not yeah. doing that was nice to see. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, Moriarty and Irene Adler mm-hmm. get combined, spoiler alert, get combined into the same character in the series, oh. played by Natalie Dormer. Irene Adler and and I think Anne Moriarty, both of them are aliases. I don't know if we ever find out what her real name is. Um, she, as Moriarty, she was this coordinator of other criminals. And she had gotten close to Holmes in order to keep tabs on him while he was investigating her with Scotland Yard. Mm -hmm. Then when he got too close, she faked her death in order to disappear and, you know, get away before he caught her. She had also caught feelings for him and needed to get away. And this is what at the beginning of this, we find out at the beginning of the series, her apparent murder by a serial killer. Mm hmm was what drove Sherlock inner Holmes into his right. uh, descent into addiction, which he is now crawling out of at the beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and even she, at one point after she winds up getting revealed, like he, she shows up first off, she's back from the dead as Irene Adler. Um, and he's stunned and, you know, uh, he, he, he is very clearly, very profoundly emotionally affected, which is, a, which is a change from earlier incarnations, the character who was, again, a mind without a heart. Um, and then he finds out that she's actually Moriarty and, you know, the betrayal is immense and he, he you know, uh, <clears throat> he, he tries to, you know, catch her kind of as revenge for the betrayal. Mm-hmm. And she gets away, but she then later shows up and basically tells Watson to keep taking care of him. So everybody, everybody is trying to, to <laughs> protect him. Everybody is drawn to his incredible, this, the combination of his incredible intellect and his like deep vulnerability. And they're all trying to, trying to help him over the course of the show. Sherlock relapses, mm-hmm. recovers, and then we find out, I want to say it's the last season that he suffers from post concussion syndrome. 
Oh. And he goes through most of a season dealing with, you know, trying to recover from post-concussion syndrome. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, this is not unprecedented, this kind of arc of, of collapse and recovery, because even in the original stories, Holmes has to be forced to rest after suffering nervous exhaustion and in a separate set of circumstances has to kick his cocaine addiction. Mm-hmm. But the emphasis here is on Holmes as a genius wooby. And I'm borrowing the term wooby from uh, TV tropes. Uh, the wooby is, is the character that, that you, you feel compelled to protect. This okay. character is vulnerable. We got to protect this character. Got it. Got it. Okay. He's amazingly brilliant and capable in a thousand ways, but on a couple of fronts, he's armored with tissue paper and everybody must protect him. Mm-hmm. My point, again, being he's a complete fucking mess. He's a brilliant, compelling, energetic dumpster fire. And this is an American interpretation of Holmes in 2012. Hegemony had turned into disaster for us as the world's superpower. Right. The writers of House, eight years before, Mm -hmm. had made Holmes an asshole in the wake of the Iraq invasion. Mm -hmm. Presidential administration later... Holmes is now a superhero with massive kryptonite problems and a raft of unhealthy coping mechanisms. Yeah. He's also remarkably feminist. Mm-hmm. Again, Moriarty, the biggest villain in the entire series, and Irene Adler are the same person who is a woman, who is who is his only, you know, in, in the original series, she's the only woman, the originally very sexist Holmes considered as equal. Mm-hmm. And now in this series, Watson is a woman who he explicitly says, I think you can learn to do what I'm doing. I'm going to teach you to do it. Right. Now, when I was talking about Sherlock, I didn't mention 9-11 because Sherlock was a BBC production. Mm -hmm. But here it's relevant because this is an American series and it's set in New York. Right. Holmes clearly has PTSD in this series Mm -hmm. and his past trauma is a reflection again, just kind of like with house is a reflection of our mass trauma. Right. Hillary Clinton was secretary of state in 2012 Mm -hmm. appointed over the loud grumblings of Republicans because nobody could even try to argue. She wasn't tough enough for the job. And, and even if you hated her, you had to recognize how goddamn smart she was. Mm Mm-hmm. We were still in Iraq and Afghanistan because we had broken it and now we bought it and our leadership couldn't find a way to extricate us from either place Mm -hmm. without leaving a dangerous mess behind and or looking like they'd been defeated. Right. We were seeing an increase in our standing on the world stage. Mm -hmm. Our president at the time won the Nobel Peace Prize largely for not being his predecessor as far as I can figure. Yeah, it I mean, was, I, it was joked that next year he would win it because he'd made broccoli taste like cotton candy, despite there being no evidence. Yeah. Yeah. And we were clearly moving again in an internationalist, cooperationalist kind of direction. Mm-hmm. But we were still doing imperialist hegemon shit and we couldn't figure out how to stop. Yeah, it, it was an addiction that we had grown dependent upon. We were crippled uh, by it. Our view of ourselves as hegemon was complicated. Mm-hmm. We felt like we were still the most powerful nation in the world, as Britain had been when Doyle created Holmes, 
But attitudes about that had become ambiguous, and we'd been deeply damaged by 9-11 and everything Mm -hmm. that came after. We felt wounded and damaged, and this Holmes was a wreck because of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that's that's what I've got. Yeah, like that's no. that's 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 it. That's it, that's it goes, the show. It goes back to what we said in the very first one is that he was an avatar for the zeitgeist of yeah. the people in which he was. Uh, yeah, he, he was. He was. He he is the avatar of of empire. He was the avatar mm-hmm. of hegemony. Yeah. And at the height of the British Empire, he's a tower of intellect and justice. Right. After the empire decline, after the empire disappears, he becomes a figure of nostalgia. In the 21st century, he's shifted between being a total jerk ass, a detached genius who doesn't understand how exactly it is he's hurting people, but he mm-hmm. is hurting people, and a damaged superhero. Yeah. Depending on current events and who it is who's telling the story. Yeah. So based on all of that mm-hmm. what's what's your takeaway what's the striking thing you're going to remember about this or you know i think it's dead on with what you said that he in in his flaws and his virtues he represents what what people know that they are yeah um i think it's funny and funny as in a little odd it's mm-hmm. a little bit funny um that he uh he ultimately is how to put this everybody always thinks they're the smartest person yeah not everybody i know some people who are actually like overly humble they think they're idiots i'm like no you're not but everybody thinks they're they have that they're good drivers everybody thinks they have a good sense of humor and everybody thinks that they're smart and so no matter what the shape of the avatar no matter how flawed he is He's still a super genius. Now, that's obviously part of the draw of the character. But at the same time, there were other aspects that they completely left out after a while. And there were other aspects that they they emphasized over others. Like the Robert Downey Jr. one was really good at fighting. And look at when that was, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so you, you could have taken away the he's super smart, but they didn't. I think, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I, I think it would have been difficult to sell it as Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I mean, it is a defining case. feature of him. Don't it's, get me wrong. Yeah, you know. But you could have had him as, it could have been a drug-induced inspiration. Okay, yeah. You know, you could yeah. have had him take his smart smoke, you know? Yeah. Um, I, you know, there was one series uh, that you didn't you didn't really mention, and I don't know that we have time for it, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention there's a series called The Good Doctor, and it's about okay. a yeah. neurodivergent um, surgeon who is, I mean, the actor who plays him, I'm not sure if he's actually neurodivergent, but he literally is like, I mean, would have been in a special class. Yeah. Neurodivergent um, and does not talk well to people, makes no eye contact talks very much in the same tone all the time and talks mm-hmm. like this all the time. Um, but he is a brilliant, brilliant surgeon who is a diagnostician. So, I mean, it just, it has echoes of Holmes yeah, um, in it, but, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, but he's it, not it, a jerk ass. 
no he's not he's not at all he yeah. uh and he's actually aware of what he is he just i mean it, it it's the bottleneck syndrome like it all yeah. bottlenecks in there you know yeah um but anyway uh i i really like um that i i would like i would like it better if he was a bellwether not a trailing indicator um because yeah. then if we ever saw Holmes that was like a nice guy who was well adjusted i'd be like oh cool guess what's coming y'all <laughs> <laughs> oh my god utopia is around the corner yeah oh here it you comes know, yeah. oh, finally hey. homes finally know. international cooperation and goodwill so, toward men yeah yeah but good you know, stuff i get it thank you yeah thank you um we don't have time to to plug things or or no whatnot, so. sadly we don't but i yeah. i do very quickly before we go just want to say if you have not watched them all of the tv series that i mentioned in this episode deserve your eyeballs oh by the way the one with uh jeremy brett yeah uh, jeremy yeah jeremy, who, jeremy brett okay jeremy, jeremy brett. brett uh those are on amazon prime i am so happy to hear that because in doing the research for this i was like you know what i want to go back and watch more of those um but also sherlock is absolutely amazing tv and elementary is is great um cool. and and i think john jenny lee miller's uh portrayal of of holmes is the most human holmes anybody's done nice. and it's also worth noting that miller uh is at this point the actor who has portrayed holmes for the most episodes of anybody ever oh there you go which is kind of cool he's the bruno san martino of uh sherlock holmes there you go so, cool all right well for a geek history of time i'm damien harmony and i'm ed blaylock and until next time the game's afoot <laughs>